I think part of it is accepting that it's so much beauty in being black. And that's the thing that I guess I get emotional about because I've always known that. I've always been proud to be black. Never wanted to be nothing else. Loved everything about it. Just it's such beauty in, in, in black people. And it really saddens me when we're not allowed to express that pride in being black. And that if you do, then it's considered anti-white. No, you just pro-black and that's okay. The two don't go together because you celebrate black culture does not mean that you don't like white culture or that you're putting it down. It's just taking pride in it. But what's irritating is when somebody says, you know, they, they are racist. That's reverse racism. This is Recorded Podcast. Another day, another podcast. Hope you had a great day. Hope this day that you're listening to it will be great. I have a, another guest, a photographer. I love photography. So, special guest, please introduce yourself. Hi, guys. My name is Rhea Harper. I'm a street style slash documentary slash portrait photographer. I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. And I am delighted to be here. Yes. Oh, okay. So... <laughs> Which part of Atlanta? Because everybody loves Atlanta. So which part of Atlanta did you grow up in? Right. I grew up on the south side, I mean, East Point. So that's basically Atlanta. Like, it's Atlanta culture. It's a part of Atlanta. It's basically a part of the city. But yeah, East Point on the south side. Okay, okay. So what was your childhood like growing up in Atlanta? Was it... I know it's way different than it is now because... I really feel sad because me being from New York, coming from California, all this stuff. Like, I sad when, like, at one music fest, they was like, Big Ticket was like, hey, everybody that's from Atlanta, make some noise. And it was kind of small. And it's sad. It's like everybody is taking over y'all city. It's really sad. Like, so how was it yeah, be- before? Uh, it's kind of crazy. It's kind of like diluting the culture a little bit. But um, I think me, like, being from here, like, my childhood, like, I was really quiet. Like, I was, like, a really awkward, shy, quiet little girl. You know what I mean? But I think the interesting thing about Atlanta is no matter who you are, like, if you're a nerd, like, if you're, like, you know, in the streets or whatever, like, you're going to be immersed, like, in Atlanta culture, basically. You know what I mean? So, like, I was quiet and I was a nerd, but even in high school, like, you know, you still listen to snap music, you still listen to trap music, you still listen to the groups, you still listen to T.I., you still listen to them franchise boys, you know what I mean? So I think that's the beauty of it is, like, Atlanta culture is so strong, it's kind of like you can't escape it, you know? So I think it gave me kind of like a duality, like, I'm really a nerd, like, I really like Harry Potter, um, Harry you know, Potter always, gang! Harry Potter gang! Yeah, you almost I broke up with my Harry friends Potter. because... Their whole family is my two friends. Shout out to Greg and Rachel. But they they have three kids. They have two kids and her sister. And they did not, none of them seen Harry Potter. I said, I'm about to break up with you and your kids. This is the last meeting. Harry Potter is the shit. Like, but honestly, like, I don't really like the movies. Like, I'm a fan of the books. Like, I think the movies, which I understand, right? Like, you can't take, like, an 800-page book and then condense it into... Like, you know, some shit was going to be cut out. Like, Deathly Hollows, though, like, they did a great job with that. Like, that was my favorite Harry Potter movie because I feel like they actually, uh, you know, told the full story, didn't cut anything out. Yeah, and it's just like, you know, I remember when they were saying, like, when the Deathly Hollows came out, that, oh, Harry Potter is too oh. nasty and too graphic. I was like, we're almost 25. Like, the people who exactly. grew up with the books are, like, almost 20. Like, we're, like, 26, 25 years old. Like, we'll be okay. Right. Yeah, it was just funny. Exactly. It was so... I always like to ask people this. I like to get a little vibe. What was the first either movie or song that you really remember as a kid that, like, just stuck out to your first one that you ever remembered? The first movie? Or song. Whichever one. Like, some people are movie people. Some people are song people. Or maybe for you, it might be a book, because, I mean, I know you're into writing. So what was, like, the first thing you really remembered? As a kid? Yes. Let's see. So I was really into reading. Like, my mom, she's a big reader. Um, So that, like, really passed down onto me. So she had, like, a lot of, like, 
Jim Crow era novels, biographies, and things like that. But I also remember being in a book club, reading a book called Leon. And I was in a book club in elementary school, yeah. So in, like, fourth grade, they would give us a reading list, and I had to read a book called Leon. Um, and it was basically, a, like, an autobiography set, though, during Jim Crow era times. It was kind of like about a young boy, even a young black man trying to navigate through, you know, the Jim Crow era in the South, basically, which was hard, you know? Just basically being, you know, racially profiled as soon as you leave the house, not being, you know, no one seeing value in you, you know, like white people being able to talk to you crazy. So that was one of the first books I read. I think that was when I was like fourth grade. Um, and I think that's just like a testament of being from Atlanta because, you know, you're like immersed in black culture, basically. So they had us reading those books at like a very young age just to kind of give us like, you know, a temperature of how the world is or how the world was. You know what I mean? Yeah, so... With that, I'm glad you said that. So, were you sheltered from a lot of racism growing up in, like, a real black Atlanta, or did you still experience yeah, something growing no. up? Um, I think that, honestly, I didn't. Atlanta is, like, the black mecca. So, to me, what you see a lot of it is a lot of black diversity where you don't see a lot of other cities. So, you have a lot of subcultures of blackness in Atlanta. You know, you have the hipster, you have trap members, you have nerds, um, you have conscious people, you have Pan-Africans, you just have, you know, you know, like there's so many nerdy black people. Like, there's so many different subcultures of blackness that, to me, I never really experienced firsthand racism because my elementary school is black, my middle school is black, my high school is black. You know what I mean? Everywhere you went, you see black people thriving and happy and just living. You know what I mean? So I really, um, I was kind of sheltered from racism. You know, I can honestly say that. Like, as you know, as opposed to where I hear from maybe my peers who have had, you know, situations dealing with race, but they've gone to another town where maybe they didn't have as many black people or just, you know, like that black presence. You know, you know black people basically run Atlanta. So that's a little bit different. So I, I do think I was kind of sheltered um, from racism. And that... That is definitely like a beautiful thing because I remember for me growing up in Virginia, um, my mom, like I grew up in, I was born in Brooklyn and I moved to Harlem and uh, when I was about five, like in 1993, I was born in 87, uh, we moved to Virginia and I remember like being in Virginia, like uh, of course it was a nicer part because she wanted us to get us away, it's called Chesterfield, Virginia and I remember like in probably like the second or third grade uh just sitting there and like playing outside and just I like the joke and stuff like that so I'm messing around with this little white kid that I knew and he kicked me like in the shin and called me a nigger and I was like whoa like I was like whoa and like when I hear stories like that I'm always like what yeah it, it was just it was like and you know, like, I'm not a fighter, but I will fight anybody. But in that moment, it's more of a shock of like, right. whoa, like, I, like you know, really you, you fight with kids, right. you, you fight with kids and you wrestle or whatever. But like, in that moment, it was just like, whoa, you know, and I grew up, you know, my mom is a soft person and stuff like that. And like, we're not all rowdy, rowdy and stuff. But I've always been taught, like, hey, if somebody hits you, you hit them back. But in that instant, I think that shock of knowing what that word meant and how hateful it was, it was like I was almost numb. Like, I couldn't even move. I was like, whoa. Like, hey, and I think, like, I've never heard that word used by a white person in my presence. But also, like I said, I haven't really... I've been, of course, I have... Um, I'm sure I have white friends, but I haven't been in a close vicinity or, you know, or in close proximity to you know, racist white people. And I think I'm just, you know, Atlanta kind of spoils you with blackness and not having to feel those things. It's like you said, like, I have friends who may be from Virginia or who are from up north who've had experiences like that who told me that. And I'm just like, wow, like, jaw-dropping. And, and then it was just unfortunate, too, because I was with my wife here getting ready to get on the interstate, and I live in McDonough. And at first, I hated McDonough because I felt like it was a lot of white people, and I was like, ah, I don't really like it like that. Yeah. It just seems like it was a little, like, off and, like, racist vibes. But then, like, that was a lot. That was back in 08 or 07, and then now my whole neighborhood is black. Like, everybody is black, and it's really empowering. I Like, I would imagine, like, a Motown feel of, like, 
that old school vibe of like people yes. with jobs. And you feel empowered. Yes, and you don't even understand that's what you feel until you get older and you're like, okay, this is why, um, you know, I look at black people in the light in the way that they do because I've been surrounded by just so many different varieties of black people, you know? Yeah, it but... It makes you feel empowered. Like, black is beautiful. That black is, you know, educated and, you know, yeah. Yeah, and it's just like... I said that because the second time I was ever called a nigga, and it was front of my wife that has never heard that like you, but she was in Germany, she's been in Texas, wow. she's been in different things, she's never heard that, and she felt, and it felt good that like I wasn't alone in that shock, and this was probably a year ago, getting on the interstate, and I guess the guy felt like I'm going too slow or something, Watch where you going, you stupid nigger, and drives by. I'm like, oh, wow. I'm just like, and she and she was just like appalled. Like that's what I'm saying. Like everybody listening will probably be like, man, fuck that, I'm motherfucker. But it's like when it happens to you, it's like a shock. It's like whoa. Like, I bet. I know. I know. Because initially, like in my mind, I'm telling myself, if anybody's coming in, I'm a fucking fuck. But I know in my mind, like, it would just be like, whoa, I cannot believe this happened in 2019. Exactly. It's really almost like your mom is not your mom. It's like, why would you lie to me all this time? Why would you, like, it's like you would be stuck. Like, whoa. Like, like, it's just almost like a stuck feeling. And it's really sad, but, like, you know, I didn't know when I would tell that story on the podcast. I just wanted everything to flow. But I always just want to have like real conversations because I, you know, I have a pretty cool right. life and interest. I think everybody has an interesting life and has many stories. But I, you know, I want to share experiences, things, especially if I have some white listeners that like these are things that make us a certain way. Sometimes it could like either make or break you, you know, and turn you into a bad person. And I hate all white people. Or this is why, and this is why. Yeah, we don't. Yeah. I can get, I was that way at one point, and I had to realize, okay, you can't be, that doesn't make any sense either. You know? Yeah, it's just, yeah, it's just, and we were off on a tangent, but I just felt like it was kind of an appropriate time. Cause, oh, that's fine. Yeah, because like. But you can't get that. Like, I have to remember, okay, you know what? There are some good white people out there. There are, there are allies, you know, as someone would say. And like, it's just being able to recognize them, you know? But I think it's easy, like, given the history of, you know, what they've done, even America. Like, if you just look at the history, like, it's hard for you to not think that, man, white people are evil, you know? Yeah, and it's just like... Like, just look at what they've done. Like, just look at what they've done. Like, anyone could look at that. So that's why I think it's always so interesting when they stereotype us. And it's kind of like, wow, but look at the history of what you've done. Look at the violence that you've inflicted. Look at the families that you've torn apart. You know? And and I think that's what it is too is that it's a lot of ignorance. Like they really feel like like at my job, it's so many white boys that say, Man, I just got a warning, man. These cops, man, I was drinking, I was doing the drugs, they just told me to go home, man, and stuff and it's like, bro, I never had that extra every time I get pulled over, I'm getting a ticket. Every the first time I ever been in the back of a cop car. It's like, oh, what's your name, Reggie? Oh, looks like you got warrants. And it was for jaywalking. Like, are you serious? Like, it it was for jaywalking. I got pulled over another time in high school. You look too young to drive. I got pulled over another time with a grandmother in the backseat, and I just learned how to drive, didn't have my lights on. What you trying to do, a drive-by? Like, it's literally, like, just fucking with you for, like, no re and 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 it's like what I want to show white people that may be ignorant because I'm not gonna blame it all on some. Some are truly ignorant, like they don't know, but some know exactly what the fuck is going on and choose to ignore it. Right. But for the ones that don't know, these are examples of like these are things that I went through in my young life and different lives that is like whoa, man. Like I looked, I have a grandmother in the back of my car. Well, you think I'm going to do a drive-by? I know we in California, but I'm going to do a drive-by. It's just like, and you know what? I feel like it's good cops out there, but I think a lot of cops, it's like it almost gets them an erection or like they get off on this power because they probably 
just high school graduates, which is no nothing wrong with that. And most of the ones who were like, okay, I was picked on in school, like this is my time to transfer that pain to someone else. Yeah, and and you know what? Um, rest in peace to Combat Jack. He's a podcaster that I really used to listen to. I met him, and he was just a really good guy. And he just had a, a Baltimore police officer on that was like an ex-Marine, and he was saying like they never get to draw their guns. They say he was a Marine. He was the worst shooter but at their police academy in Baltimore, he was the best. They never get to draw their guns. So when they get a chance to, it's literally like an adrenaline rush of like... It's an adrenaline rush because they get to and they know that there will be no penalty or there will be no repercussions for their actions. Exactly. Yeah, and it's just, it yeah. really, it just really, you know, I'm off on a tangent. But it's just like, you know, we no, I, this is right. good dialogue. And just like, I really want to, you know, like I said... A week or so ago, I put on my Instagram, this podcast is going to change lives because it's really going to show people and I want to bring people in on things they may not be aware of and why people might feel a certain way. No, these are real issues. Yeah, definitely. These def- are real issues to be discussed. So, 100%. tapping into your blackness, was it just instilled in you just to be proud? Like, Hey, if you got people think you got, I mean, you grew up in Atlanta, so it's just different than everybody yeah. else. But I think for me, my journey was different because I grew up in Atlanta, but still, even growing up in the blackest city, blackness is still not something that you're taught to be proud of, you know? Um, so for me, it was a journey in finding my blackness. I still grew up getting my hair permed. I still grew up thinking that my hair was unmanageable, um, unkempt, you know? Um because society around you tells you that. So even when you're in a black city, you still have, um, you know, Eurocentric beauty standards that are placed upon you. You still kind of have people around you that are, you know, that may have been taught things passed down from their grandparents and then they're teaching it to you. It's just kind of like a cycle of things that kind of teach you to not love your blackness, whether that's your hair or whether that's your features or whether that's the way that you talk um, or the way that you dress. You know, or even the way that you act, you know, like your mannerisms, you know, blackness is just not something that you're taught to love. So for me, I had to go on a journey basically to find myself. Like I said, like I was really quiet. I don't think I had like the most confidence in myself. Um, but I was always reading black literature and things like that. And I always went to black schools. Um, but I can honestly say, I think, I honestly could say that I found myself, I think, at 23. I think I would call that, like, my soul-finding year. Like, that was, like, the year, like, I found myself, you know? Um, because I think that was when, like, everything kind of got stripped away. Like, I quit my job. Um, I wasn't working anywhere. So, I, all I had was myself. You know what I mean? And I think me finding my blackness, I know it may sound superficial, but I know it started with my hair, you know? Yeah. I've been getting permed my entire life, right? And then one time... Um, my mom gave me a perm, and all my hair fell out, right? Like, literally, all of it fell out. But this was, no, this was actually when I was 17, like, all my hair fell out, right? So then I had to go on this journey of, like, learning what my actual hair looked like, you know, because I had to cut it all off and cut the perm out. And I think that was my first lesson in learning that, well, wow, something that society told you, like, you're supposed to perm your hair, that this is actually damaging, and it was a lie. So what else is a lie? You know what I mean? Something as simple as that. Something as superficial as hair. You know, but for me, it was like helping me by myself, but also teaching me to love my blackness, teaching me to love my natural hair. And my hair looked this way because of my blackness, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that helped me find myself. Um, and then just reading more literature, just like connecting more to around me. Asada, like Asada is a great book. That's like my favorite book ever. Um, it's an autobiography, basically, of She Was a Black Panther. But she went through her own journey, her own evolution of finding her own blackness. And I think, yeah, I went through a similar thing. Like, I wasn't just born into a super Pan-African or super, like, black power household. You know, I just really had to find knowledge on my own. You know, whether that was through books, through reading, um, you know, through other people that I met that might have been, like, more empowered and might have been blessed with more information than I was who passed information on to me. You know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. Definitely. And then just diving into yourself. Like, I think finding your blackness is also just diving into yourself and seeing what your blackness means to you. Because think we're black. That's just what I am, you know? But I have, like, my own personal attachment to my blackness because of who I am. 
you know, because of like my individuality, if that makes sense to my own personal story. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like I think that's how I found my blackness, just like through, you know, I mean, I already have it, but just more so finding myself was just through that year to where like everything again was like stripped away. Like I wasn't working, I wasn't doing anything. So that's when I found, after I changed my hair, I started going natural. I started realizing like, okay, boom, like this is who I am. Like I really found my identity um, through that. You just have the time to, you know, like when you're constantly working, you're constantly working, you don't even really have time, I think, to get to know yourself, you know, because you're always moving. There's no stillness, you know? So I think I like during that year, just found a lot of stillness. So I found myself, you know, really, honestly. And you know what, I like, you keep saying the same thing, which is true about finding yourself. And I just really, you know, I really want people to understand how important it is to love yourself. I feel like a lot of people look for it in a relationship or in, like, your successes or, you know, or, like, popularity or this or that. You have to really... Right reach a point in me at 32 years old or just turning going into 32 my birthday is august 15th same as nipsey hustle we definitely gonna talk about nipsey hustle rest in peace king in a minute but it, it was for me like going through low moments and really like you know like my wife has been like a great cheerleader of mine and she always told me things and My husband has too, yeah. Yeah, it's just like she's been like a really big cheerleader, but I couldn't hear that voice because I was so in my own head and feeling down and, you know, not really loving myself really. And it's like really hard to, you know, love yourself if you, you know, like it's really hard to love someone else if you don't love yourself fully. So that'll lead to arguments, that'll lead to disagreements and stuff. And when, oh, exactly, because you never know, like, what emotional baggage you're transferring onto them. Yeah. You know, it's really hard. Yes, a hundred, listen, I agree a hundred percent. Like, when you're not happy, you never know, like, what energy you're transferring to someone else. But if you're fully in love with yourself, then you have something to give someone else. In, in but if you're not, you don't have anything to give anyone else. You just don't. Yeah, and for me, what it was is I knew exactly what it was at a young age, but as I got older, I really pinpointed what it was. For her, she grew up in a loving household, two fam, like mom, dad, the real mom, dad, blood, like they had her. She grew up, like they've been together. Her parents are in their 50s now. They grew up together when they were they were dating since they were like sixteen, like a beautiful story. And that's how my husband's parents are. That's so crazy. That's exactly how his parents. Yeah, are. and then and, and, yeah, and they're like you know they've been together since they were sixteen. So she's seen that. For me, teenage mother, you know, dad has some issues. Then I live with my dad for a minute. Then I live with my mom for a minute. But in both of them, they were damaged from childhood. So my whole life, I was searching for that, like, nurturing love. And then it would frustrate me, and I would take it personal. But as I got older, I realized they didn't have that love. So how can they really transfer a certain love to you if they didn't? don't know what they don't know. Especially being a teenage parent, you know, like, how are they going to do that in New York City, in the heart of a crack era, in all kinds of, like, how do they do that? If they don't know, wow. they really, so you, like, so what people in, for somebody battling with that now, I want to say to them, like, it's not you all the time, it's them. It's not, like, you can't really take it personal, you need to speak your truth, but you can't really take it too personal, because they're dealing with things they may never tell you, what, like, happened in their life growing up. Hopefully they will one day, but... I think as we get older, you become a friend of your parent because it's like, hey, we're friends now because I'm an adult. I can do whatever I want. So we're basically like friends. So, you know, it's just like you people got to understand, like sometimes they've been through things, but you also have to protect your feelings at the same time. And if you have to step back, whether it's a mother, father, husband, wife, anything, when you feel your energy is way down from a person, and it's been like that for years, you probably need to step back and see what happens. Like, it's it's really, really, really important. So I said that to say you really have to love yourself because, like, thank God for me, my wife has been supportive and helpful 
and things like that because I could have been so much in my feelings from childhood, I could have lost her. Because it's like, you know, you dealing with too much, man. Like, I don't really, I don't come from that. I don't know how to deal with that. Like, nothing. But she, you know, been a rock. And then, you know, like, for people, hey, everybody, relationships, you can have your own. It's like a lot of, like, you know, well, you could bring the girl home with me right now and stuff like that. And to each his own. But you got to know, you really got to love yourself to be cool with that. Like, if you feel you're not cool with that, don't really rock with that. But you really, really... Like, my whole point of saying all of this is, like, you have to love yourself so much that you really don't care, like, what nobody else thinks of you. And then it could open a door for others when you love yourself, basically, is what I'm saying. Right. I agree with that. 100%. So, photography, how did you get into that? We're having this whole talking experience. No, that's perfectly fine. Of <laughs> photography. How did you get into that? Oh, let's see, how did I get into photography? Let's see. Um, so basically, I'll start with high school. So in high school, I was in video production. So I've always been interested, like, just, like, in the inner workings of visuals, basically. Like, when I was in high school, I told myself, like, oh, I want to be a music video director, you know, like, do music. Because I always just love rap music. Like, that's one thing about me. Like, I just love rap. Like, I love hip-hop. I love rap music, right? So that was my thing. Like, so I was like, okay, I'm going to get in video production. My high school had a magnet program for that, um, Charleston High School. So let's see, I went there. Um, and then after that, I went to school. I went to school for mass communications. I did not finish school. I dropped out. I come back home. I'm just, like, trying to figure out, okay, like, what do I do with myself? Like, I know that I want to get into the visual arts, but I think I kept depending on, like, school to teach me when I'm like, okay, boom. What can I do on my own, you know? So... Okay, yeah, so basically I was just trying to navigate photography on my own, and just, you know, I went to school, that didn't work, so I'm just like, you know what, what can I do on my own, so, you know, interestingly enough, I ended up meeting my husband, my husband basically was like, well, listen, we should start a production company together, so I thought that was a great idea, so he basically was the one who gave me that push, um, invested in getting us cameras and things like that. So initially we started just working with like local artists in our area, right? Like rappers, singers, like just, you know, basically just artists, creatives in our area. So we were doing like a lot of rap music videos and things like that. And then for me, naturally, I just started taking skills and I fell in love with more of the photography aspect. He formed, you know, he fell in love more with the video, you know? So from there, that's really where my love of photography began, just with working like with different arts. Like, we were just doing like documentaries, day in the lives, music videos, um, you know. And from there, of course, you just naturally do gigs and weddings and things like that. But I naturally fell in love with the documenting side, you know, just kind of like getting that human side of that artist or that creative. So then I just started on my own journey of just trying to figure out, like, okay. How do I get in here? Like, I didn't necessarily have a plan. I was just really just kind of just going with the universe and where, like, the universe pushed me, you know? So I was applying to internships. I interned at a studio, at a music studio in Atlanta. Um, and then I ended up landing an internship at an editorial beauty studio under an amazing photographer. So there was where I really learned, like, a lot of business skills and things like that. But I think that's really where I learned what my style and what my niche was, basically. No, you know, that, that, I think, I, you go ahead. Yeah, because I think a lot of, say it again? No, you go ahead. I think I realized from there that, you know, just basically a lot of realizing who you are is also realizing who you aren't, you know? Definitely. You, you have to find your own style. Like, you really... You have to find your own style. So there, I realized, you know, with like, beauty, makeup, like, this really isn't my thing. You know, like, it's just not. Like, you know what I mean? But I was able, like, I was really, really privileged to be able to work under a top beauty photographer. So I was still just like, okay, like, this just isn't my thing. So after that, I just realized, okay, like, what do I like? Who am I as a person? I had to really ask myself those questions. Like, who am I authentic? And then I realized, like, okay, I love culture, right? Um, I love Atlanta culture. I love the everyday black person. I love everyday black people. I'm really a person who I believe in the value of the everyday person, right? So that means, like, you know, anyone I meet, if it's the janitor or the CEO, I'm going to treat them both with the same respect because I really believe that everyone has purpose. Everyone, you know, deserves to be treated with respect. 
so that's where I just started my journey of just doing street style photography and just, you know, going in the streets, basically, and just going to different places and just seeing people that I found to be intriguing or aesthetically pleasing or who just looked like they had a story, you know, or just who looks like someone who maybe someone might just walk past, but I see the value in them, I see the beauty in them. And so that's what really started me into the street style photography, just realizing, like, okay, that's not my thing, but who am I? And just having to ask myself those questions, you know, and then acting on it. And I always wanted to ask you that because you get really candid photos of people. Like, do you just snap them or do you ask them or and no, how? No, most of those I ask them. I just usually like I'm very. Um, I believe in just like okay, listen. Like I might be awkward, but sometimes you have to push through that fear and push through that awkwardness, and that's something that street style photography has definitely taught me to do. Because sometimes you might get to know. Like every time someone's not going to say yes. Um, but usually I just go to them like, hey, um, I'll just take your photo. And usually people are, like, very willing and cooperative. Like, yeah, sure. Because these are people who people might not see the value in, so no one's asking to take their picture. You know what I mean? But I think that they're beautiful people. That's something beautiful about their spirit, about their aura, about the way they carry themselves, you know, despite whatever. So usually I'm just like, hey, can I take your photo? But I usually walk up to people like, hey, can I take your photo? Like, I would love, I think you're beautiful. I would love to take your photo. You know, that's usually how I go about it. I don't usually do canvas. Like, I, you know, because I don't know, I, to me, in a weird way, I just like it's kind of, like, disrespectful, depending on what you're shooting, you know? But I like to ask someone, like, hey, can I take your photo and get their permission? And it also creates, like, this up-close, intimate portrait, you know? So. But how does that... See, I want to do that, but I feel like somebody is going to pose. And I've seen your photography... And it looks like they're not posing. They're natural. How do you, like, achieve that? Because that... I don't, all your pictures look like you almost snapped them, like they're laughing, or recently the girl at the counter, it doesn't look like, or do you see the value, is it some energy that you connect with them that you know is going to yeah, be I good? Yeah, I can't lie, for me, it's very interesting, like, so you guys just say, hey, can I, take a, can I take your photo, and someone just gives me their natural expression, so that's what I like, like, I like for my photos to look natural, minimalist, stripped down, you know what I mean, like, that's really what I like. You know what I mean? Like, I like a minimalist, you know, a natural look. You know, I don't like for anything to look posed. So I'm just like, hey, just look here. And something about their energy, like their spirit, it just really transfers through. And it's crazy. Like, every time I look at the photos, I can feel it. You know? But they just give me, you know, like these natural expressions. Because I'm not posing them. I'm just like, hey, how are you doing? I'm like, okay, can I take a photo of you? Sure, okay. Stand just right there, you know? I think that's how you get someone's natural expression by not posing them. Literally just like, hey, look here. Just how do you look naturally? You know? Yeah, and I really, really love that, like, about your photos. I mean, I love the black and whites. Like, I like to mess with color, but I feel like the black and white is calling me. But I really don't. I'm, I'm trying to, like, learn the color, but I really feel like the black and white is, like, it's just, I think it's something about simplicity that makes it so beautiful. Like, I love colors. Like, I love fall leaves and the oranges and browns, and that looks good. But the black and whites is just, like, it's like, almost like you're into books. It's like reading a book. You have to imagine, if I take a photo with leaves and I post it in October, November, you have to imagine, like, I wonder what color his shirt is. The leaves are probably this. The sun is shining. Like, it really is like a yes. flowy it's story. So much to the mind. And it strips everything. It just makes it so much. It strips everything away, and it just really attaches you to the spirit and the emotion of the photo. I love black and white. I really do. Yeah, it's just, yeah, it's just something about it, about it. And now, you know, I love black love. Um, my wife is black, uh, but I mean, I love any love, but black love is special because I know, you know, the struggles and the different things and how you can relate and oh, yeah. different things. So, so oh, yeah. tell us about your big up your king right now, your husband. Tell us about this fine, fine young gentleman. Yes, my husband is amazing. Um, basically, met like we've been together since we've met. Um, we've been together eight years, married for three and a half. So yeah, I met him, and it was just like we had like this instant. Honestly, we instantly were best friends. You know what I mean? Like we stayed up talking for hours, we laughed. But one thing about him, he was so supportive, and he was so he stood firm in his individuality. You know, and that's something that like really inspired me. You know, like okay, I don't give a fuck what anyone else thinks. I'm an individual. I'm gonna be myself. You know, you know, despite what anyone thinks. Um, and so like yeah, like we just met like through mutual friends, and we just literally like from the moment we met, we were together. You know, like 
that was pretty much it. Um, but again, he was the one who inspired me to just, okay, boom, you're not going to school right now. You can take it into your own hands. You know, like you don't have to wait for anyone to pass on knowledge to you. You can go seek it. Basically, that's what I took from it. You know? Um, and he was really, really like, you know, really getting the start in like, you know, entrepreneurship. Like, you know, we can do this on our own. You know what I mean? Like, and then him including that, you know, him just like investing in me and just like seeing, you know, me as a partner and things like that. Like, you know, he's amazing. Yeah, but he's like my best friend at the same time too. Like that's the best thing about it is our friendship. And it's crazy because like I grew up in divorces and arguments, and like that's what I seen. Mm-hmm. As where my wife just seen nothing but being together, and that's what we instilling in our nieces and nephews now. We don't have any children, but like that's all they know is like relationships. But it's just really something beautiful about seeing people. Together and like really for what I was trying to say, I, I lost my thought. But it's like I really didn't think it was a such thing as a best friend for real and a partner. I really was like, no way. Yeah, there's really no is. way, bro. Like, there's no yeah. way. But when I met my wife, it's like literally, like I'm like, bro, what are you doing, bro? And she'll talk to me like that too. And it's just like we're really like friends, you know? Like it's really. Yeah, but that's what you fall back on. Like, when things get hard or tough, like, you can always fall back on a friendship. You know what I'm saying? If that friendship isn't there, then you have nothing to fall back on. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it's just so beautiful because it's, like, when I know shit was, like, really real, like, we're doing okay now, we're doing well, and we talked about all the things we wanted and the things we get now, we literally talked it into existence and, like, that's how I know what the podcast is going to take off and photography. Whatever I want to do, it'll take off. But number one is my happiness. But, like, we, we used to laugh when we used to go pay our rent. And we both get our – we had separate bank accounts. So we both get our uh, receipts from the ATM. And she would have $8 total and I would have 7 And we would laugh together like, damn, like, that's all we got to our name for, like, three, four days or a week. But it was like that's when you right. know it's real. Like, bro, we it's I, real. I got eight, you got seven. Yeah. Like, I'm a baller. You're a small baller. I got a whole dollar more than you. <laughs> like, you know, it's just really like, yo, like, and that's what, and that's, and it's like one of our favorite times. Like, we travel to different countries. We blessed to do that. But one of our favorite times is like being in the snowstorm in like 2012, locked in the house. Watching American Horror Story, getting scared. Like, yo, I remember that. Like, that's our go-to. Like, that's our, like, it's like creating these memories when you go out of country and stuff is cool. But it's like, it's the moments like the ATM and checking how much more money we have or being locked in and just watching shows and stuff because we can't go nowhere. That That's beautiful. And speaking of travel, I seen that you and your husband recently went to Cuba. Tell me about that, because I know that's a photographer's dream to go oh to God. a place like that. It was exactly, it was a dream. So basically, yes, I went for my 29th birthday recently um, in June. So that's still kind of recent, but I went for um, in June. So it was uh, amazing. Like I always wanted to go to Cuba because, of course, like you said, a photographer's dream, like the architecture, the old cars, the people. Um, and yeah, like he took me for my birthday. He took me as a birthday gift, basically. Um, I went out there and it was literally like everything I imagined times 10. Like it was overwhelmingly photographic, you know, like photogenic. I mean, you know, like the buildings, the old buildings, the old architecture mixed with the color mixed with the Afro-Cubans and the old 1950s cars. It was just like so much to take in. Um, and it was beautiful. We had, like, an amazing experience, like, with the locals. Like, we went to the club and got drunk. We met a band and walked around with them. Um, it was really crazy. Like, it was really, really, like, I got into a freestyle battle, a freestyle rap battle, <laughs> like, on the beach. <laughs> it was an but that was the dopest thing, too, like, seeing other black people because most of the people in Havana were Afro-Cubans. Like, they literally look like they're from Atlanta, but they don't speak a lick of English. It was so crazy. Like, it was so great. Like, you look like you're, like, my cousin, but we have this language barrier. <laughs> so did you know, you know how to... 
sorry. I knew, like, I knew how to pick up like a couple words, right? So like, I was able to build off like Nignana, Me Gusta, Te Arnios, like things like that. Like, but what was interesting to me, it taught me in those moments was that like language is also like this universal spiritual thing. So it was like we were able to have conversations with them because it's like I could kind of get a gist of what they were saying. But we could still share a laugh together. It was so beautiful. Like, I don't know what you're saying. We could share a laugh together, you know? I was going to so say, did you learn how to say, can I take your photo? No, I didn't. I would just say, oh, well, I'll take photos. And they understood. Like, I had my camera with me. So this was the craziest thing. When I went out there, um, like, again, I was, I'm not even going to lie. I was, like, I can't remember how many rolls of film I brought. But when I got out there, I was so excited by how it looked. I snapped off, like, a roll and, like, minutes like you know to like snap it off so i ended up running out of film right it was so crazy so cuba is a place they kind of don't have like a lot of resources like they don't have like a walmart you can go to and buy some film you know what i'm saying or like a store it's like his own place basically they had an embargo um and they're basically sanctioned off in the rest of the world so it's like his own place so i'm looking for film like oh my goodness like i was almost depressed because i'm like i cannot be here and not take photos on film, you know, I specifically shoot film, photography is my personal work. Um, so basically, we ran into this guy, and I'm like, hey, um, do you have, do you sell film? And he's like, oh, film? He's like, well, maybe I can take you somewhere. He ended up taking me to this market, and a guy had one roll of film left, right? And it was an expired roll of film. And he's like, well, I can give this to you. I don't know if it's going to work. And those photos ended up coming out so amazing. They Man. were like... That was meant for you. Yeah. Like, that was like... The universe talking yeah. to you and telling you, like, hey, I got you. It was crazy, and the way that the photos came back was really how it felt. Like, I took one of um, a tarot reader that I met of a woman with, like, with a cigar in her mouth. Oh, my God, it came out so amazing. And that film, specifically, I didn't know if it was going to come out at all because it was expired from 2012. But the photos came out so amazing. Like, the color was, like, really vintage. So it was crazy. Like, just the whole experience, and I got that film specifically in Cuba where I took those photos. So that meant a lot. You know? Oh yeah, for, for the podcast, you're gonna have to definitely put that photo up on your uh, web, on your Instagram or your website. You definitely gonna have to put that up because yes. people are gonna like they're gonna draw like an idea in their mind, and I'm curious to see uh, what it is now. Is it already on your Instagram yes. or no? Mm-hmm, it is. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah, if you go down some, um, yeah, she. You know, she has like kind of like her whole. Uh, you know, her whole vibe, going, like her whole look, like her dress, like her usual dress of the day, like her Cuban dress, very vintage. She has a cigar in her mouth. She has Cuban nails on, like everything about her energy, her swag. It was just confident. Like that was the thing too. Like the Cuban people, they're very confident, a humble confidence. Like, you know what I mean? Yes. And what's um, your Instagram and or website so people can look? Um, my website is RitaHarperPhotography.com. So my first name, last name, photography.com. Okay, definitely, definitely. And then your husband, I know he does some things as well. Do you have anything that you want to promote? Or? Yes, he's a video editor. Um, he's amazing. He just edited my video, my behind-the-scenes video that I did for BET, where they call it my process. His Instagram is Rico Suave ATL. <laughs> Rico oh. Suave ATL. That is Instagram. Okay, and speaking of BET, like... I just reached out to you. I had no idea, and I was like, "Whoa!" <laughs> like, I was like, "I was like, is she doing something with Bet, or is this like B E T B E T?" I'm like, "Whoa!" Like, no, this is really. I went on it BET's Instagram. I was like, "Oh shit!" Like, this is really like B E T. Can you tell the people how you are have been on BET all week and how this came about? Right, so basically BT has a new, um, you know, like this new thing that they're doing. It's called BT Air, and it's BT Artist in Residence. So basically they have a resident artist, and they allow them to, you know, just basically like, you know, showcase their work on their platform. They give you five days, and they follow your process and things like that. Um, so it's really cool. It's really amazing. So basically, um, yeah, like there's a collective in New York called Television Artists, and they basically partner with them to do it. And, yeah, like, that's really how I got selected, just, you know, through them. And they were just like, okay, yeah, like, you know, we were like, yeah, like, you're selected, basically. And I was like, wow, like, it was crazy. It was a crazy feeling because, you know, 
I've always wanted a major partnership, and for me and for what my work represents, like, it's perfect, you know, literally, like, black entertainment television, my work is based around black lives and black everyday life and black families and, you know, just general black life, like, black culture, you know, so it was the perfect partnership, so I was like, wow, wow. And how did they find out about you? Um, basically, they had a call out for it, but I guess it's a collective called Tunnel Vision Artists. There's a guy named James Malone um, who works with Tunnel Vision Artists. He's amazing. He's absolutely amazing. But he's like an art curator, an art collector, and he's over the Tunnel Vision Artists Collective in Brooklyn. And he basically just, you know, was like, hey, you know, like, it's an opportunity to me. You know? Wow. So I was extremely like, wow. Wow. That is truly, truly amazing. Like, so, so for you, do you have a job or do you, or is this just it no, for you? No, right now I just freelance. This is crazy. Yeah, I just freelance right now. So I just do gigs, basically. Um, you know, like along like with my photography and things like that, like I sell prints, I sell my artwork, but then I also do gigs, like, you know, like weddings and things like that, you know, it, you it, know, like corporate stuff, corporate events. You know, headshots, things like that. Like, I just shot with a clothing line yesterday, um, you know, called After Five. So I just do things like that. Like, you know, photography gigs and also some of my artwork and some of my prints and things like that. And, and talk about that grind. Like, what do you do in those, like, down moments that when things are kind of hard oh financially? It's so crazy. Like, that's the thing about, like, entrepreneurship. It can be so up and down or just, like, being creative in general, right? I think that's the beauty and the beast of it. It's like, it's the unknown, you know? It's kind of like the unknown. So, like, kind of like that grind of, like, you know, getting gigs, and then, like, maybe you have a slow month. It's like, and then you're back up again. It's just, like, such a roller. It can be such a roller coaster of emotions, you know? And so I think in those downtimes, like, what I learned is that, okay, if you realize, okay, well, you have a downtime, but the next week you have an up month, then you have a down, then you realize that you can always get back up, you know? I think that that should motivate you. Like, that's what motivates me in my downtime. Like, okay, you know what? I've been here before, but then I've seen the other side. You know what I mean? I've got myself right back up. I think just like that resilience. Like, I think, like, I have a resilient spirit. I don't care, like, I might fuck up, but I'm going to get right back at it. You know, like, I'm never going to give up on myself. You know, it's kind of like one of those things. And I won't hold a pity party for myself too long. I can, but then it's like I kind of have to snap out of it and then be grateful and then just look back on the journey. And like, look, okay, look how far you've come with the things that you've done and you've been able to do. So you can keep going and you can do more, you know? Yeah, so when you um, have those up moments, are you saving? Like, how important is saving? Because in a, being an entrepreneur... Sometimes you don't know where that money is coming from. So how important is saving? And that's the thing. For me personally, like, I'm still trying to get, okay, boom, well, like, financial literacy is a big thing. And saving is very important because you just never know. Like, you can have a great month and then the next month you don't. So saving for me is, like, extremely important. And I'm trying to learn how to do it better now. But saving is extremely important because you just never know, like, being an entrepreneur. Like, so that's the beauty and the beauty. You kind of control your own destiny, but then at the same time, like, you have to, Control. You know, you have to recover yourself. You know what I mean from your fuck up. Definitely. So I just think that something like just like financial literacy, like that's something that I'm like really trying to dive deep into. Like this year specifically, financial literacy. I think like our people need it. Like we need it as creatives, especially. You know, because it's doable, but we just have to make smart decisions. Definitely. Like I, I'm listening to a great podcast right now called Earn Your Leisure. It's these two dudes from up north, and they like give different game about financial literacy and also um LeBron James he has his own podcast um oh man needing dough is the name of it and he got all these different athletes and they talk about saving money and the importance of saving money so definitely earn your leisure for for young black people or black people in general anybody Hello? that yes can you hear me uh, yeah you broke up for a little bit i can hear you now Okay, yeah, I was just saying. Yeah, I, I was just saying about earn your leisure and needing dough is these two podcasts that give like about people from our community, like the black communities, that like break it down in hip hop terms and things like that. Like needing dough is LeBron James creation, and they talk to different athletes about like that's a big jump from like living in a project. LeBron said his rent was like. 
$17 or $40 to being a millionaire the next day. Like, and it's like... Wow, like, I know that, yeah, that has to be crazy. He's like, you know, and, and he developed this podcast, and, you know, shout out to him for what he's doing with his schools and all that, because he, like, was like, hey, we need these athletes, because a lot of, it's a 30 for 30 ESPN documentary called Broke, that is very depressing. If you watch it at the end, instead of rolling credits, they roll everybody that filed for bankruptcy. Like, all the athletes, and it's mostly NFL athletes. So, Earn Your Leisure and Needing Dough are really, really good podcasts, especially, like, Earn Your Leisure, because it's, like, everyday people telling you about money and what different ways to I make I love money. that, Earn Your Leisure, because that's the thing. Like, we're trying to earn our leisure. Like, I'm trying to earn my leisure. Like, I don't want to be hustling forever. You know, like you want to get to a point to where it's like, okay, boom, like, I've hustled, I've hustled, I've hustled, but now I've earned my leisure. That is beautiful. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely, because, I mean, nobody, everybody wants to live, like, that's why, for me, personally, and this is just for me, it's like, I understand people that work to their 65 and things like that, but for me, that's, it's disgusting. To me, I'm like, I cannot work for somebody else till I'm 65. And that's why we have to grind it out now, like, I'm 29. Like, we're in, like, our late 20s, early 30s. Like, these are the times where you really have to grind it out, like you said, to earn your leisure. You know what I mean? You have to earn it, though. I believe in it. So I believe in grinding it out, working hard, figuring it out, fucking it up, getting it back together to where I'm like, okay, boom, like, here I am. You know? I can have some leisure. Exactly. And definitely, like, in, like, J. Cole, I'm a huge J. Cole fan. The song Love Yours is, like, a really deep song. No such thing in a life that's better than yours. There's no other life that's better than yours. And he talks about it's beauty in the struggle. To come from having like seven or eight dollars to us being homeowners and having a raggedy car to getting different cars. Like it's just like it's beauty in that. But some of the happiest times is when we didn't have much. And what I want people to really understand is it's billionaires that are not as happy as you. That are not as happy as you right now. It's billionaires ready to blow their brains out because they're unhappy. And you have a family, yeah. you have a roof. It's people in, uh, that it's, it's families in a homeless shelter at the sound of my motherfucking voice that are really, really happy. Like, so it's yeah. just for me, like, really be happy in the struggle because it ain't going to be like that. Tough times don't last forever. Tough people do. It's time to get it. Like, let's motivate each other to just like, hey man, fuck it. I'm broke today. Oh well. Like I got food. I got a shelter. I'll figure it out. You know, like it's just beauty in the struggle. And one thing that I definitely seen from you, man, King Nipsey Hustle, man. Like we cannot say enough about like I'm so fortunate and I know that you from like you put me on a song. I didn't even notice like Clico and Rose, I was like, damn, I didn't even know this song for real, but I've been following him since yeah, Crenshaw. Well, that's when I first got on Nipsey. Like, I got on, um, got on him. I feel kind of late, but TNC, you know, like, that was in, like, 2012. Like, the marathon continues. Like, for some reason, like, when he was speaking, like, to me, like, certain rappers speak to me. And Nipsey and, like, just, like, his delivery and his swag and just, like, his cockiness, like, it really spoke to me. You know what I mean? Like, just, like, the way he came on that track. You know what I mean? Like, they called me Young Nipsey Note. Like, that was hard to me. You know what I mean? So, like, Nipsey was, like, a rapper that I really instantly liked, you know? And then just seeing, like, his whole, you know, business mindset, just seeing, like, how he was, like, a real, one of those real hustlers on the street that you see, like, so instant. You know what I mean? Like, things like that. Like, it was just so inspiring to me. It's just, like, any creative I feel like Nipsey would speak to. You know what I mean? Because you've seen his journey. Like, he really started from, like, the bottom and just, like, really hustling, just putting himself out there. You know what I mean? Like, really putting himself out there. Okay, I'm going to go get it. You know, I'm not going to wait for anybody to give it to me. I'm going to go get it. You know what I'm going to be? I'm going to be, um, what did he say? Just, like, uh, escape velocity. Like, I'm going to be a savage about Like, I'm going to go super hard, you know, to where I have nothing. You know, I leave nothing up on the table. I leave no regrets. And so that's kind of like, you know, I have him in my mind sometimes a lot where I'm like, oh, I'm feeling pranked or like I'm feeling pranked on the corner. It's just like, you know, just keep going, just keep hustling. You know what I mean? You have to have a real like hustler's mentality. And like that's what he had. But along with, you know, he was really dropping gems in his music. 
you know what I mean? Like home ownership, you know, family, you know, things like that. But I really, yeah, really tragic. Like that was a huge loss. And then his song, Perfect 10, with, uh, that just came out through Mustard, I love that. Whoever's idea it was, Mustard or whoever, Nipsey I Hussle. I haven't even heard it. I haven't heard that. Wow. Nipsey Hussle has one verse. You have to listen to it. It's called Perfect 10. Nipsey Hussle has right. one verse, and the rest is just interviews of him talking. That's it. Because his, his mind was just, like, ridiculous. He was, dance. he was on it. He was on it. And it's like he, I think it's just so inspiring because he stood true to who he believed in and the values that he believed in. And that's something that I'm trying to, like, carve myself out to be like a woman who has values and, like, I stand in it. You know what I mean? And what it was about him is that he taught people to know their worth and just really believe in himself. And in that, when you listen to that song, it just is so powerful because then he said, you know, I've been through every emotion in this game to get to where I'm at. And if you think about yeah. how deep that is, that means happiness. It's that means funny. down. That means doubt. That means people don't like you. That means everything, like anger, happiness. Like, that yeah, literally. It feels like, yeah, I feel like you're underlooked. Um, underrated, yeah, like you're, it's not gonna happen, like helplessness, you know what I mean? And when he says that, it's like you can feel those emotions, any creative can feel that, you know? Yeah, and he says the genius thing is that we never quit, like, we, no matter what, never we never, quit. never quit, man. And, um, Black Sam, like his brother, is just amazing, like, that man, that is going home service, it was like. Wow, like that is a, a king. Like that is the way you, you know, yes. he was sent here for a purpose. He really was. It was, it, was real. He, he was. He was a vessel. And I was too young. I was born in '87. I didn't understand Tupac, but Tupac spoke to a lot of people. But for me, Nipsey Hussle really spoke. And and I'm really, really blessed. And I know, man, that everything happens for a reason because. Um, Man, our birthdays is August 15th. Me and his birthday is the same day. I was like, whoa, and I like his music. And then on top of that, I made it my business in January. Me and my wife went to L.A., and I said, we are going to the Marathon Store. So we go to the Marathon Store. They shooting a commercial in there. So it's like, oh, man, like it's kind of closed off, but I just want to go and show love. I ain't got money for the t-shirts or whatever, but I bought like two lighters just to say I bought something in there. And it was right, a it was a guy outside that said Nipsey Hussle was right there in that car. And I said, oh my God. <laughs> I was like, whoa. I said, no way. He said, bro, stand over there. He about to get out the car. I'm going to like go over wow. there. So he got out the car. Gave me a pound and went to go shoot a commercial. And I said, wow. I said, I have like this special moment with a special being. With a, with a, and, and this is like, I don't really like meeting people because celebrities can be assholes. Like, and it'll ruin how I look at them. Like, it'll ruin like wow. everything. But him, he was a genuine man. Like, he really, really, and my wife was just sitting there so happy for him. Like, yo, like, you love him so wow. much. And you've really seen him. And I'm just like, wow. And one thing I didn't want to do, I didn't. I posted that picture on our birthday because it was special to me. But I didn't want to post it when he was when he passed because I didn't want it to be about me. I didn't want to flip this about like, yeah, man, like I, I seen him at the store that day. Like, right. no, no, let him rest well. And then Pete, like, let's not make this about me at all. Like, let's just make this about the man that he was. And even on my birthday, I said, you know, like, I showed a picture outside the Marathon store in front of the Brinks truck. I was so excited to get a picture in front of the Brinks truck, the all-money-in Brinks truck, and I just was like, wow. Like, I really have a photo, and I have a, a Polaroid photo of it, too, a digital and Polaroid. I was like, oh, my God. That is just like, man... I would have loved to be able to meet him. Man, it's just so a blessing. Yeah. And, and also Combat Jack, like, he's a podcaster that I really look up to. I got to meet him before he passed. And, like, it's just it's like a blessing and it's a, a sign to me that, like, when you put yourself in a mindset 
with like-minded individuals, you'll find a way to connect. You will find a way. Like, the next person I want to meet is Jalen Rose. I really like what he's doing. Like, he's doing a lot of good things. Off of the Fat Five? Yeah, that's crazy. Jalen Rose has his own school before LeBron James and did a lot in his city, and he still does. And he keeps it real, but he's also just a good man. Like, he's just, like I just want to meet... Like everybody wants to meet these certain people. I want to meet Jalen Rose, Nick. I really want to, and that's gonna happen. But I just really want it's to. You're manifesting it right now. Man, it's just it's just a beautiful thing, man. And um, I I just you know like man, Nipsey. I can't just say enough, man. Like one of my favorite songs is Dedication. And it's crazy because like it's like oh Kendrick's on this song, so like yeah, the that song. That song is angelic. That song is angelic. Man, when he it's said. Angelic. These these songs is the spiritual we slam against them waves with. He mm-hmm. jumped off yeah. the slave ship without a life he wasn't jacket. Really about to get into a different bag. Like Nick is about to get into some different shit. Like he's gonna give us something different. And that's why it's so tragic that he's taken away so early. And yeah. he said, I hope the example I set's not contagious. Lock us behind cage but can't tame us. Like I mean it's just like when you listen to these words, it's like, oh my god! Like I, I like, it's like you feel, you know. They said sometimes ew, I remember. I know you probably know better than me. They said it was a certain amount of slaves that went straight into the water with, with hand in hand or either in shackles because they rather die than live with that. They really yeah. just was like, I would yeah. rather die than live like this. And it's just like when he was talking. And I like that he, you like reading, and they have photos of him reading. He read a lot, like a whole lot. Yeah, no, I love it. I love it. This is dedication. Yeah. he Man, another podcast. Like, no, like that's so real. Yeah. How long for opportunity is preparation? Man. Like, that line. Wait, man. Like, so oh, my God. I like, it. I could, I could own. Opportunity. You get an opportunity and you're prepared for it. Man, like I could almost like like it's it's emotional to think of like to say like he know he a genius, but they left him no platforms to explain it. So left him no platforms to, like that he got lyrically into some other shit with that song. It was beautiful. Man, it, it's just it's what when that song. It's like, I love Kendrick Lamar, but I almost forget he's on it because of the words. Nipsey was prepared. He was prepared for that song because he knew that everybody would probably skip straight to that song because Kendrick was on it. I'll be damned damned if I slave for some white crackers. Yeah. why? I mean, he just, he he knew his worth. Like, he just knew, like, hey. I'm, and he even talked about dealing with Atlantic. He said, look, I want all my certain, I want certain things. I want all my masters. I want certain things off top. But he said, they said no at first. So he came back and got better. And he just, he's the prime example for all creatives and entrepreneurs. You're going to go through shit. You're going to eat shit. It's going to be fucked up a lot of times. But you have to keep going. You have to believe in yourself. And you'll see the other side, 100%. I agree. Man, man, I just want to thank you for this podcast. And I, I, I got this thing I like to do at the end. I like the vibe of it. Uh, I narrow it down the next five years because I ask people, and they be like, what the fuck are you talking about? So it's pretty hilarious. But I like to do something <laughs> called speak it into existence. So in the next five years, yeah. where do you see yourself? Speak it into existence right now. Oh, wow. That is so amazing. In the next five years, I see myself having multiple streams of income. I would like to be an established photographer. Um, I would like to have billboards around the city. I would like to be, again, like established, like an established creative. I would like to be making, I'm going to throw it out there, six figures. I like to have billboards. I like to have a documentary. I like to have a coffee table book that is in libraries, that can be, you know, given to kids for learning purposes. I like to have teaching courses. Um, but that's just where I see myself in five years, just, you know, more established. You know what I mean? I'm having my work out, like, on a global level for people to see on a national level. Like I said, I want billboards. I want films. I want to be teaching courses. Um, yeah, that's it, basically. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, everybody, make sure you subscribe 
and tell people. I think word of mouth is amazing. Like Instagram, you can have followers and that's cool, but really, like if somebody say, "Yo, I fuck word with," yeah, I fuck with this podcast. I fuck with her photography. Like if people tell you, it's different. Like we have a million things on Netflix. But when somebody tells you, watch this movie on Netflix, like, it's called blah, blah, blah. Like, I watched a movie called Burning Sands that was really good on Netflix, like, that I told people they should watch. It's about the frat and fraternities. So, it's like, you know, word of mouth. So, man, tell people about Rita's photography. Tell people about This Is Recorded Podcast. Tell people about anybody you believe in. Tell people about yourself and what you believe that you want to do. It's not about me. I'm going to do this regardless because I love it. So it's just like that word of mouth is more important than a million followers. <laughs> that's that's it. Um, and I just want to thank you for everything. And this is recorded.